Wow, we went long today. Who's surprised? Not us. So today in part one, we recap the 2023 client-only live event that we just enjoyed. And we continue by breaking down the idea that you could leverage everything you own to pay a life insurance premium. We had fun doing so. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And here we are the first weekend after the uh, October event of last weekend, 21st of October. Here we are on the 28th of October. Um, And we're going to talk kind of several things, but high on the agenda is kind of a recap of the event. Yeah. My mom just was sidebar. <laughs> My mom got a kick out of she watched podcasting. When I let slip the location <laughs> in the lead up and yeah, bleeped yeah. it out, she really enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't do it just like to be super secretive, but you don't want the you know, it's for clients and don't need the random showing up. Uh especially, you know, other financial people. Ooh, an event. Like this sometimes I see the word event and they're like, oh, training or oh, marketing opportunity and oh, sales and they want to, you know, can I come? Like where, where do I where do I get a ticket? How do I register? Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, we had um I mean I had I don't know, four, five or six different agents from around the country, wherever, mm-hmm. and said, oh, wow, I've seen you have an event. How do I get in there? And, and they would reference it as training. Wow, can I, can I, how do I get to the training? How do I get to this? And how do I get to that? And, and it's client only all over the place, I would right. think. You can hear and read. So, and God bless them. You know, it's just not, it's just not an agent training event. And if it was, just as a side note, an agent training event, um, it wouldn't have been, so under a hundred dollars, you know. Uh, well, yeah, and I even mentioned at the beginning of my talk, you know, I know you and I had talked about this beforehand, which helped me flesh it out. But you know, like, what was it? Like, what? What is were it? Were we actually yeah. doing there? You know, this isn't normal client interaction. That's kind. Of, that's just part of the deal when people become clients. There's a degree of ongoing involvement, and it's this is something more than that. And it wasn't just knowledge receiving you know it's not meant to just be lectures and you absorb information and take notes like class time it's not just that although it's was educational and it there was fellowship other people doing the same thing or kind of the same thing that everyone's doing and so there's a fellowship but it's not just that either so like this mix of different elements and know what how do you categorize it doesn't fit neatly in a nice category it certainly isn't the convention i just come right out and say it you know it's like this is not a normal financial type conference where it's really just a most are just a sales event thinly disguised as some something else you know and then there's a sign up at the door and you know they're tracking how many sales it's like that's not at all what this was and so I kind of understand the con- the confusion that maybe some thought, oh, event, life insurance, finance. Well, I'll give grace and, you know, somebody could potentially not have clarity on what a client-only event is. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get that. Um, 
But on the other hand, you know, the age, it's just the agents need training, you know, God bless them. I understand that. Um, and in my opinion, my little humble opinion that um, is that when, when I do an event, when we do an event, it, it's going to be done correctly. It's yeah. going to be worth attending. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully it, it, it so, you know, kind of going back and, and uh, affirming, you know, what, what you're saying is, is it a client appreciation event? No. Although I dearly love my clients, our clients, you dearly love yours, and we appreciate them greatly. Um, but was it just a client-only event? I mean, an appreciation, a client appreciation event? No, no. And, of course, did they learn? They should have. I mean, I know they did. I've had yeah. a great response. I know you have as well. Um. So it was it was really a mixture of all of those things. Yeah. And then kind of re encouraging. Um kind of re re not resetting but and not really refocusing, but reaffirming yeah. what we're doing and why we're doing it. because we're all individuals, you know, you have a hundred people in the room and there's hundred and fifty different things going on and um you don't have to be ashamed. That's a big deal. If I you know, if we all talk about infinite banking, paying high life insurance premium, doing anything outside of the narrative in the financial world, you know, you're subject to be scrutinized and insulted almost. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to question your intelligence. You're doing what? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the the agent or the advisor on the other side of that, you know, me or you, then they're going to you know, insult our integrity mm -hmm. because it's life insurance. So yeah. the idea and the actual opportunity to be in a room full of legitimately like-minded people, although they're all individuals doing different things is huge. Yeah. Um, and even within the broader banking, it's so difficult, like how to describe like the people can, they use the word banking and there's marketing and it's, life insurance maybe you know that there's this broad spectrum and maybe they use the letters i b and c together and uh even in that more narrow context there's differences even there you know and to have people who are who are doing i b c but it's almost like a certain vein or a certain style a certain form of implementation with i b c you know it like i and i know to a degree that you're in the same way it's like it's not anything goes you know i'm not an order taker it's not that we're you know throw anything at underwriting and see what sticks type of thing you know and it's it it's not the case that the customer's always right it shouldn't be that way and so if, if you come and say oh i just want this you know, i had an experience like that recently this week you know oh just send me this this and that illustration it's yeah. like Okay, we need to have a little little phone call and sort of revisit what we're doing here. So it there's a, a sort of a particular character. I mean, I even mentioned during my talk, it's like you prepare your talk and your content, and I prepared my talk and my content. And we, as we do just normally anyway, have phone calls back and forth and discuss what we're going to say. But that's really the extent of the preparation or the you know, the integration between the two. And yet when we go up and talk, you can see that this is a natural fit in what we're both saying. There's a certain form 
to the, the, the kind of approach we take with IBC that is different than what other people are finding. And some people eventually figure that out, right? Like I was mentioning this uh, individual I spoke with earlier this week who had gotten in touch with another fairly well-known operation out there. I'll be good and not mention names this time, but, uh, you know, 90000 a year pre-tax income as an employee in his 30s, submitted an application. Premium. No, no, 90000 in income. This is just oh, income. his income. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Sorry. Uh, submitted an application through another agency, this other agency, uh, with a $96,000 first year premium. And it's like, what? Where's the money coming? <laughs> Where's that going to come from? And of course, yeah, it's please, a, yeah. How'd that even get through underwriting? Who know? I really know. We we were talking before, so I really have no idea how who said yes to that. But it's essentially a premium finance case, right? You're going to put a HELOC on the house, and oh, so, did it come with that HELOC? Yep. To get to so, ninety six thousand in premium with a ninety thousand earned income. Yep. Annual pre tax. Yep. Yeah. So he lock on the home, lot of equity in the home. You know, he's owned it since before COVID. So Mark Man, that must be up. a beautiful presentation. Yeah. To to for me and I, and I for me as a consumer, I earn ninety thousand a year. But it makes sense for me to borrow money on a HELOC, so I'm gonna collateralize my primary residence to get a premium. Of ninety six thousand dollars, which is more than my gross annual income, yeah. right? And so now I'm collateralizing that primary residence. I get it. That's where most of the equity is in America. That and the qualified plan. I get it. So yeah, I got to find the money somewhere, right? <laughs> somebody's got to get paid too, right? Um, so I have a couple of questions. I don't. I don't want to throw you off. And I think I. You know, we we talked a little bit about this. Yeah. Um, but number one, I would like to know where the second year premium is coming from. And then number, my really my number one question is, what was the purpose, you know, ultimately beyond the agent, you know, selling, uh, uh, from the outside looking in on the limited knowledge that I know, just based on the numbers, something completely unsuitable. Um, what yeah. was what was the purpose of that big premium? I mean, what what, what was the consumer going to do, you know, besides scramble for the year two premium? Yeah. We'll get to that. But I mean, what was he going to do with all that money? Well, the cash value that he was going to collateralize after collateralizing his home. Right. And I asked him, I like, why? Like, what's That's the best question ever? Yeah. What's so he certainly did the crucial point. He didn't come up with this idea. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> It was proposed to him, sure. right? The classic find the money approach. Show me your numbers. I'll show you. And where a you beautiful the presentation. There's arbitrage going on somewhere. Yeah, you know, Excel spreadsheet. And there's a little of this, a bit, a little bit of this too. You have somebody who, you know, W two. This is look. No one's average. I get it. But average financial profile for someone in their thirties. You know. Working hard, supporting his. That's a pretty dang young. good income in your 30s where I live. Yeah. I mean, 90 grand a, you know, gross. Okay. Yeah. So doing what he sh should be doing, right? He does. But, but not a investor. You know, he's not, not in private equity, not a hedge fund guy. Like, he's just 
one of us, you know, one of the people. And there's, to my mind, there's this little bit of um, like an allure or a, or maybe just lure <laughs> of, hey, I'm going to show you something you didn't know. You know, you yeah. could pull this money from over here to do this over here. And this, there's a sort of mat, like a, a mysterious sort of, uh, it's not so much smoke and mirrors, but you know, I'm enlightening you and you, you know, it's a we're damn just, shell game. If I've ever seen one or yeah. heard well, my opinion, right? I'm just, yeah, wait, I earn $90,000 a year and I think it's a good idea to collateralize my home. Right. And I don't know, I don't know the individual's full financial profile. Right. Um, but I'm going to pay a $96,000 premium with borrowed money. Yeah. Right. And then, what did the agent have to do? And I'm just, this is a rhetorical question right, to ponder. What did the agent have to do as far as a presentation to make that look good? Are they getting paid? And, and I'm a capitalist. I don't mind. I enjoy profits. Okay, I'm a capitalist. Um, who is doing the HELOC and who's getting paid on that? My question, and, and I'm just asking. Um, and then what kind of spectacular presentation had to occur for that to make sense to me as a consumer. Okay. Um, And then to the point where I'm not, and maybe I'm asking too soon, but what was the purpose of all of that high cash value in year one? Right. And so, so the, the, the rest of the idea was to take the, of course, after the big old premium is paid, you take, a maximum policy loan, and then go as pay off. As possible. Yeah, to go pay off the HELOC. Because the HELOC's probably at 9, 10, or 11. The policy loan's probably 5, 5.5, 6. Right. So now you've got a large loan balance on a loaned-out policy, you know, big debt to the life insurance company. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so why? Well, his answer was, well, I've got my money working for me in two places. Right. right. Which is... And so I just point out, I'm like, you know, that's not what's happening, <laughs> right? That if this is, there is no magic here. This is not, you don't, <laughs> we're not fed board governors. We don't get to print our own money. Like oh my gosh. there are costs coming from somewhere. You're creating an interest liability to an entity that wasn't there before. Right? You got to pay the interest. You had, you know, he had some mortgage debt remaining. The HELOC was already in place, but no utilization. Oh, maybe he already had it, and they're just showing him how to use the HELOC. Yeah. yeah, here's what you could do. Yeah, right. And so, okay, fair enough. But now you're creating indebtedness, additional indebtedness where there wasn't any prior. I can hear, I can hear somebody saying, "Well, you know, just like Nelson said, you know, water's got to flow, money's got to flow, blood's got to flow, knowledge has to flow. You gotta, you know, you gotta make your money flow, and this is one way to do that." Yes, right? and that the, the it, it always people do that with no, it's like little half truths. Absolutely, you know? like there's enough. In becoming your own banker, yeah. like the system of policies thing, you can kind of allude to that yeah. in order to justify stacking and yeah, all this. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what was good. And so his next response was, you know, so compounding, you know, I now I have compounding and cash value. I'm like, forever. I'm like, F-O-R- yeah. So I, I had to tell him, like, okay, well, you know, compounding means annual increases of an increasing magnitude. Right. In order in order to achieve that in IBC style whole life, you've got to have 
about the same level of premium going in order for those annual cash value increases to increase. <laughs> like what you're describing is not combat. I mean, you could semantically curate what you're saying and say, well, if we look at year two and beyond, then there's a compounding process, right? Because after the $96,000 year one premium, the plan was to go down to like 24,000. Okay, perfect. On a $90,000 gross income. Is he married, single? Single with a young child. Okay, single, right. filing single you know you're you're in the highest tax bracket in that income level anyway yeah and uh, look at that that number could be appropriate maybe i don't know like like you said i hadn't looked at his at his the full financial so i don't know what the right exact solution was but i'm i'm pretty confident that it's not to pay a premium in excess of 100 percent of annual income in the first year uh and so you know we just correcting little things along the way so what was the plan well there wasn't really one Right. It, it's sort of this look, the, if the number's bigger earlier, that's better. And everything else is detail, incidental detail. And, yeah. and so I, my point to him was because look, I do have clients who have HELOCs and they, they do this thing where they, you know, shuffle the money around, do the juggling act, whatever. And my point to this guy was, Look, can that work? You know, can the pretty presentation that's shown on the screen, can that, is that possible? You know, uh, sure. Look, anything's possible. You know, there's never, like you said, there's never a problem until there's a problem. And if there's no problem, then there's no problem. Now, are, is the 10 month or the 10 year and the three month secondary yield curve inverted? And is the money supply contracting at the fastest pace ever? Yeah. Is that, does that have a perfect predictive, statistically predictive, a uh, record of recession. Don't worry, man. We're gonna, we're gonna create so many wars around the you know the globe <laughs> that you know we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna ex- we'll take care of it. The Fed will take care of it. Don't worry. You know the war is gonna get us out of the jam. Oh, undeclared war, whatever. I don't want to get all political, but don't worry. They'll just. Oh, I'll, I'll stop. Well, but, but, let, let me let me say this that uh, you know as part of Ryan's talk, which you know he. It was it was an excellent. It was an outstanding talk, and part of it was kind of an economic um, update and talking about the yield curve and yeah. Um, and so and, I, and I'm putting that in there. You know, I know you're mentioning mentioning in the mentioning in it currently right now, but um, and so let me let me continue here. Look, when when the guys in there year two, there's really no purpose. $24,000 premium, $90,000 gross income. And and do you think there was any kind of a conversation about the current financial uh, situation that we're in globally, as a country and globally? I'm, and, and not that you have to be in, you know, an Austrian econ major. You don't, okay. But do you think the... There was a conversation at all about interest uh, yeah. rate environment, bond, you know, any, the economic, the yield curve, any, yeah. any of that. Whatsoever. I, I know for certain there wasn't. Of course I, not. Because I, I mentioned that to him. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and my, I, you know, <laughs> I kind of flew off a little bit, but uh, I said, you know, if you're going to put to, as a financial professional, and I know these guys, they're nice, you know, that whatever, it's not personal. People take things so personally in the financial business world. But, you know, my thing was as a, as a professional, apart from, 
who you are as a person, your character, you know, we assume angelic intentions, or at least I tried to in my better moments. And uh, I say, you know, if, if you're going to propose a plan for maximum leverage, like, look, go buy this asset and then borrow against it to the fullest extent you possibly can on the eve of what essentially every economist would say is the run up to a recession. That is either in the best light, ignorant or just like sloppy and unprofessional. And you could get speculative, like maybe they do know and they don't care and you could get maniacal about it and all that. Not even necessary. In the best light, it's ignorant. Like I couldn't, a year from now, if there is a recession, if there is a major correction, and you, I want to, I want to point this out. In these, in these styles of presentations where it's borrow money from over here to pay this and then turn around and take another loan to repay that loan, you enter, I constantly see this. And when I defend my point, the, 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 the person who was initially exposed to this moving money around type of thing enters into this, a certain structure of response of, I don't know what else to call it other than whataboutism. Right. Like, well, what about if, what about if, couldn't it work? If, what about this? You know what? Well, I'm going to get rid of the HELOCs. I'm going to take the policy loan. So what about that? Like, can't that work? You know, it's, it's like throwing new things at the wall to see what, if, if he can like elicit approval. Yes. Right. Yeah. To, yeah. 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 Elicit your approval. Yeah. On their preconceived decision or pre made decision. Right. That happens very quite often. Yeah. Well, this is what I've done. So. You know, I don't want to hear what's wrong with it. Well, I do. I do want your opinion of it. And, you know, if you can, you know, what do you think? Second opinion, what have you. Okay. But then when it gets critical mm -hmm. um, and op opposite of what you think is going to happen or what you've chosen to believe, yeah, then it gets a little uncomfortable. Right. So or what could. about, well, what about this? What about uh, that? What about, what about, uh, and I'm, <laughs> I, and I'm like, just look, put it this way. We have different philosophies, me and this other person, this, these other guys. Yeah. It's a different philosophy. That is not where to start. You've said this before. You don't get into IBC. You cannot find in anything Nelson ever said or wrote the idea that you should go expose yourself more to a conventional banker in order to manufacture high early cash value to then turn around and take another loan to go pay them off. Now I get it and I've said it and I've mentioned it. Building your warehouse of wealth, little paragraph, Nelson got the policy, paid maximum premium, took large loans on the expectation that he would sell land in the future. That, that eventually 12 years later did happen. Sale of the land was enough to pay off the loan, had a policy 12 years old, you know, capitalization, uh, cash value when growth did all curve. that happen? Yeah, not right away. No, it's like right? that, that happened in the eighties. Well, and that, but it wasn't where he started. No, quite no, no. That's my whole point here. Yeah. In the eighties, he's fifty something, been buying life insurance since he was thirteen, and skill and been a and had been a life insurance agent since nineteen sixty four. Right. I mean, you just you can't jump over this stuff. Whenever, whenever you know people mention Nelson's name. You know, can spell IBC. Oh my gosh, you, we all get stalked on social media. You know, you just watch one of these IUL, Index Universal Life, uh, promotions, and they say the same thing. You know, they talk about banking, they talk about loans, they talk about loan repayments, 
and and they they even say become your own banker, or bank on yourself, or bank this or bank that. Yeah. But they never ever ever reference any the one page that Nelson uh, did mention Universal Life. Right. I, I seen one the other day. A guy selling annuities. Okay. Well, there's a place for annuities with Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And, you know, somebody <laughs> called him out on it, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just trying to show the power of books and sales. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you can't make this stuff up. And then, you know, it's just looking for the magic kind of – I mean, the, you can't – someone, the individual that you speak of, couldn't couldn't explain why he would do that. Yeah, He's like, but this and but that, I'm compounding. And – is the loan compounding against you being addressed? You know, okay, well, it's going to compound a policy loan lesser at a lesser rate than the HELOC, right? And well, and I mean, and violated the don't steal the peas, right? I mean, the plan. Oh, oh, his idea was to just you know, I'm just gonna I'll pay the interest. It's an interest only loan, right? I'll just unstructured. Pay the yeah, yeah. So it's that's. Planning to take a policy loan with no expectation or no plan for repayment. Yeah, I talked. I, I spoke a little bit about that. I mean, I could I could go on and I could make ten hour presentation out of that. I believe, but the title of my talk was looking for the magic. Of course, I dropped the ball and didn't point out what the magic was later in my talk. It was highlighted, you know, highlight, it was it was highlighted, but I should have emphasized here's the magic, yeah. um, but I didn't, and. I'll maybe redo it sometime in the future. My whole point here is the guy's looking for the magic, you know, the the agent, the advisors selling a concept, right? And then uh, supporting it with some kind of third-party software. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it with basic math, right? And to to get you to say yes and then okay, when the rubber meets the road in year 2, if something, and I'm an optimist, I, I'm an eternal optimist, all right, but I'm also very practical and pragmatic. I'm a realist as well. So if something goes, here you've got your number one asset, I'm assuming here, maybe has a large qualified account balance. Nope. Okay. Number one asset, your home, the majority of your net worth is probably in the equity of that home yeah. and i get it you got to free it and you got to get it out and I, I get all that through a heloc that you're going to be paying interest on you don't control that and it's nothing more than yeah. um, I, and i don't disagree with helocs but you tell me can and has it ever happened like in the last three years that a lender with helocs has said oh wait a minute your line of credit is 100 grand but your balance is 24 now your new limit is 24. What happens then? Or how about Wells Fraudo when they, I don't know, something different, but they you got a business loan, a line of credit, and they say, hey, in 60 days, we've decided that this is not the type of business that we want to continue to pursue. So you have 60 days to pay that balance off. What? Oh, you can't? Don't worry. We'll convert that into a time note. Yeah. On the eve of a liquidity crisis. Yes. I mean, you could... Yeah, I and so I'm, I my and I explain that to him. I'm like, you don't have a right to that line of credit, dude. There, there, and I'm and I even told him like, I'm sure you read every line of that lending agreement you got oh, from yeah. the bank, right? And he laughs on the other line. I'm like, yeah, no. They got teams of lawyers where they bake in every exit route that they could need so that they can CYA if something were to go south. 
and but then more whataboutism well i'll turn around take the loan and you know it's just not the way right what can i say to make you uh okay with my decision of doing this you know (laughs) exactly that's really what it was you know and and i even asked him i'm like because he had submitted an application he was through underwriting and a company had made the offer the offer of this policy that he had applied for i mean right up to the line of take delivery you know and often gonna go pay that big old premium Right. And he had said nice things about the podcast and the mechanic <laughs> series. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, thank you for saying nice things. And he's like, you know, nobody ever pointed out to me that on a structure, on an unstructured conventional credit line, the interest compounds monthly. And I'm like, yeah, oh, okay. And so, but it was like, okay, so you say all these nice, I appreciate that. But what, like, what was the trigger? Why would you then yes. reach out to me? Like, you know, so, I, and I kind of suggested to him, like, there's some source of hesitation here. It's like something isn't. Well, he wouldn't be reaching out to you if there wasn't, right? I right. Mean. And it was because of what he had heard, and then you know the maybe this the tension or the intensity or like the moments coming. Like you gotta say yes to all that, right? And you're gonna formally take delivery, and it's like okay, maybe at that just before you jump off, let's make sure the water's more than ten feet deep, right? Like, <laughs> and so that's what was happening, and I'm. I'm like, yeah, if I told him, if somebody came to me starting IBC, similar circumstances to this individual, and said, I want to borrow against my house with whatever credit instrument, I really don't care, in order to go pay a big old premium in the first year, I would encourage them to find somebody else to work with. That that contract is not getting out of my office. Like there, There's a reason I have the persistency rate that I have. And he goes, oh, you know, there's a little gasp on the airline. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a fun question what? for the agent. You mean, you mean, you you won't just because I call you and engage with you doesn't mean you're automatically going to take me as a client. Yeah. I mean, what? Where did the gasp come from? I'm just saying. Well, when I say persistency, it's like, oh, there's a new word. You know, it sounds like a buzzword. Oh, it's like a jargon. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, there's a there's a fun question to ask. You're preferred. Who? Why? For whatever reason, you end up preferring somebody. There's a fun question for him. What's your persistency rate at your preferred carrier? What? Yeah. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Yeah. It's like mine is not up at 96 or 98% or whatever it is. Yours isn't? For, I said it's oh, not man. there for no reason. You know, it's not oh, like, that's what say, yeah, it's yeah. Not, this isn't a surprise. Like I say no when things don't make sense to me. You mean you while know? they're vetting you, you're vetting them yeah. to see if you can work it. You know, there's a lot there. You know, I don't want to jump over. I want to, I want to uh, go back to. To, to make that decision, any decision like that, and there's so many things, so many red flags you've got to just fly by, right? Um, number one, you have no knowledge of the structure and the importance of the structure as a consumer. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, you know, uh, structure is important. I don't care what the IBC expert guru says. Oh, you're getting lost in the weeds. It's not about, yes. Yes, structure does matter. Because if it isn't going to serve me well over my whole lifetime, what am I doing? I'm playing games with numbers on a page. I mean, in this particular example, $90,000 in income, $96,000 year one premium with the HELOC. I mean, oh, what could possibly go wrong there? And in, in, in looking at where we're at in, in the economy and uh, what's likely to occur in the future. Although, you know, you have the, the perma bears too. I mean, they've been talking about crashes a long time. Sure. You know, so there's that. Legitimate but, criticism, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. But, you know, we've never been here uh, uh, 
as a country, much less a world, you know, oh my gosh. So, you know, I'm just saying buckle up. It's, it's okay to capitalize. It's okay to pay a premium and to capitalize in face of the unknown. You know, if it comes to the point where you have so much capital <laughs> that you just don't know what to do with and you're uncomfortable, um, that's even okay. How about you get to that point <laughs> first? <laughs> I mean, in, in, you know, in my talk, when I was talking about looking for the magic, very simple, you know, um, but I, I even touched on the, this idea of the eternal growth model. You know, you go to Wall Street and everything's Einbahnstrasse, one way. Mm-hmm. It only goes up. You know, just look at a long enough timeline, James, it always goes up. It, whatever the manipulated market is that you're being sold or putting in your capital into. Okay, that's the market I'm talking about. I don't care. Real estate, gold, silver, whatever, crypto, digital, you name it. Show me one market, please, anybody, anybody, show me one market that's not manipulated on the face of this earth, please. And I'm still an eternal optimist. Mm -hmm. So, in the face of that, because... um, you know, I can't control all that. Oh, you mean interest rates are manipulated too? What? Mm. Okay. If I just focus on building capital and pay in the face of all that, it's okay to do that. The day will come when I all of a sudden, uh, obviously the day will come, right, that I've got so much capital. It's like, Ryan Griggs, I am so uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars just sitting in a life insurance policy doing really well. Right, comparatively to any other asset class you want to compare it to, honestly. But I'm uncomfortable. I got to do something with it. Yeah. It's FOMO, fear of missing out. It is. And, you know, this idea of I'm going to go become an investor, it's super common in real estate and now in crypto too. And I'm going to go, th- this marketing proposal was made to me and I'm going to take this money over here and go do this and that. And I don't think people realize that you're not becoming, just because the word, is investor or the word set just because that's what it's called or how it's proposed to you it doesn't mean you're any less of a consumer you're just consuming what the particular financial guru is selling it's a different type of consumption but i've been elevated from consumer to an investor yeah my little yellow star got brighter and it's i don't and sneeches, you know the star <laughs> belly sneeches. i've got a bigger star because now i'm an investor wait wait there's more are you an accredited investor oh no yeah the star is even bigger it's such the looking for the magic title that you had is, is so right and i don't think people realize i know people don't realize how deep that runs i mean this idea that i've got to go find the secret you know there's <laughs> something that's being withheld from me i got to go figure it out and do this you know and, and within ibc even with current clients it manifests as you know what what's the how do i best use my policy what what are other people doing with their policy and you and i talked about this over the phone some and i i've tried to and i'm going to keep talking about this until i feel like i've really got it figured out and i don't, I don't think i have yet but there is there is something and it, part of it is coming from potentially depending upon how old you are coming from decades of indoctrination that you should be undercapitalized that you should systematically forfeit control over capital to the bankers and to wall street and under tax qualified plans or whatever right you saving you having control over your money is supposed to be per se bad right for whatever reason inflation or you know they don't say that they say i'm going to be a millionaire by the time i retire it's always layered in long-term growth stock mutual funds i'm going to get a tax deduction today yeah all of that, ta- the tax, oh yeah, the tax thing is a whole other 
cover, a whole way to launder this idea <laughs> that you need to not have control over your capital, right? Whatever the proposal is, it, it that is the fundamental essence. And, and it, isn't it so easy to manipulate that, though? If you, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but as you say, the canvas is very large. So, <laughs> um, if I'm suffering from FOMO, fear of missing out, and I want to be an investor, I automatically don't know what to invest in, right? Because I want to be an investor. And then the, with the narrative, which is what I really talked about, and I, I'm, I'm going to be rate chasing, I'm going to be looking for the next big thing. I am so susceptible to a well-crafted, mm. perfectly worded presentation. They're asking for it. I'm begging for it. Yeah. And oh my gosh, it'll be delivered. And then, and then too, and you touched on this, and, and that's what I want to go back to and didn't. You have to, you must, you're going flying right by these red flags. You're flying right by them. But then you have to jump over. It's almost like, and I don't want to be religious or, you know, it's almost like sin, you know, if I'm going to sin, there's a way out, and I have to look at the way out, and, and, and I recognize that. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. What about? Same, yeah. same thing. It's like, if you you have to jump over, and maybe you don't know about them, right? Maybe you don't know the four fundamentals of Nelson Nash. Number one, think long range. If you don't know that, you, you should ponder on that, right? And then number two is don't be afraid to capitalize. And in all of these, when I hammer on mm. structure and I hammer on uh, this – the HELOC type of a thing where you collateralize your home to collateralize a policy to collateralize that as soon as possible. That violates it's, it's, it's an extension of flawed thinking. Number one, you're not thinking long range. If I got to get out of everything that I put in, I'm afraid automatically to capitalize. Number two. Mm -hmm. And now if I don't think long term and I'm afraid to capitalize, what do you think the odds are that I'm going to be an honest banker? When I'm violating that by borrowing money from the third-party lender, whomever they are, and whatever flavor it is with, to fund the <laughs> policy premium. And then, question of questions. And I don't know this. It's another rhetorical question that maybe you should ponder on. On every life insurance application in North America that's fully underwritten, I'm not talking about final expense, I'm talking about the type of policy that you can practice this idea of becoming your own banker with, that kind, large premiums. Somewhere on that application that you sign... Right, as the insured and or the owner, is this policy being financed mm. or is it being replaced? Now, is that or is that not a premium financing if I borrow from anybody, even another policy that you own, to pay a premium on a policy that I'm purchasing? My question is rhetorical. I wonder if, I wonder how that question was answered. I'm just asking, and I don't know. Yeah, or if it was even asked, and I and I think I'll, I'll, oh, it, whether it was asked or not, it was marked on there when you sign your John Henry, and you know ah uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the consumer may not have any knowledge whatsoever of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You know, and that it really it's the frightening thing. Who really knows what goes on? You know, the application calls taken over the phone, and then the application is sent digitally to be signed, and the DocuSign thing takes you nicely through the various prompts, oh and <clears throat> who knows what goes on there. And I'm look, I'm sure everything's above board because everyone's doing their best and has the best of intentions. Um, this is just about the coherence of the proposal, just on its face, right? Speculation about their- No wonder Mass Mutual doesn't 
embrace the infinite banking. They <laughs> never have because they have agents that operate that away. Yeah. And if they didn't, they wouldn't come out and fire a bunch of them. And to be clear, you know, this case was with a different company. This wasn't with Mass, but it's uh, shit, a, a, yeah, the big blue. I'll, I'll just yeah. take, take. Yeah. Okay. But, but it's fine. I mean, it's, it's common. This is just one it's other comical. instance. And this doesn't happen with me often. You know, the, the show's not really marketed. I don't do click funnels. I don't really care. And, what? You haven't monetized his channel, James? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, who, be, I don't get a lot of these calls. Let me put it that way. And it's not like I ooze interest in this, you know, addressing these kinds of cases. But because uh, you're not going to get those, the people who are wanting validation aren't going to find it. You know, it no is the answer. Um, <laughs> you know, you want the heart surgeon to tell you it's okay to eat the damn ice cream all the, every night. It's like, no. Like, Go ahead and have a well, little one hurt you. Well, I'm so not what about, you know, it's, it's keto. There's I could ask the fat it. doctor who's overweight. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, look, you like ice cream. Surely it's okay for me too. Yeah. Well, what about, you know, what if I work out? What about, you know, all these justifications yeah, yeah. that had to come back and- What if I eat sherbet? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, now that you mention it, oh, gosh, it's oh, low fat. Gosh. Yeah, well, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get a lot of it. And that kind of scares me a little bit. Like how many of these, po- and I was watching this, I've talked about before, Patrick Boyle does a YouTube channel, I think finance professor, maybe at NYU. I'm probably screwing that up, whatever. It's on YouTube. And uh, he, he did- probably won't listen anyway. And, <laughs> life insurance, <laughs> oh, buy term and invest whatever. Uh, conventional academic finance guy. Austrian? Know? No. Oh. But, but- Chicago school. Trying hard and like, you know, not- playing along with the narrative and good YouTube channel puts out videos every now and then he did one recently where talking about the correlation between the instances of fraud and the business cycle (laughs) at at the height of the boom you know just before the collapse is when most of the fraud happened most of the fraud starts to be revealed it's intense yeah yeah so FTX recently of course you know there's so many but um, I mean that's part and parcel of the cycle yeah you yeah. can't separate them. Yeah. And and then part of his point was, you know, once the contraction in the money supply has really gotten underway and these sources of financing that these fundamentally non-economic, quote unquote, businesses rely upon to stay afloat, as that new free money starts to become more and more scarce and they can't get the, you know, they can't keep rolling over all the debt and piling debt on more debt. As that happens, you start to flush the fraud out. Right, this has to eventually be exposed, and so in the contraction, in the monetary contraction part of the cycle, which is what we're starting into right now, uh, you start to discover this. You start to see more and more of the fraud that already happened. Right, it's just now being revealed, and I think something like that is going to happen in the IVC adjacent type world where you get people who got talked into with the magical numbers and you know flying past the red flags into these big giant premiums nothing wrong big giant premiums talking big and giant relative to their ability to pay you know moving money from over here compensating for the lack of cash flow by leveraging assets that they happen to own like where you're you and your family sleep at night in order to pay a big old premium and the, in, the industry, and I think Mass, the timing of this is just too coincidental, right? You had the big player like Mass earlier this year saying, we don't want any part of that business. because First lot- memo. Yeah. First 
company memo of 2023. That's how important it was. There's a lot of that marketing. And so it's already, you can see the signs, right? It's already starting that style and consider that the timing of this, right? NNI 2013. This is the longest running IBC podcast there is. Only four and a half years old, right? Last major financial crisis, 2008. So there's not really been a severe economic correction since the discussion of IBC and banking style insurance really got a foothold online. Mm. So the, the, this world has not experienced a major liquidity crisis type Lehman event, you know, at and all, I have a policy. Ever. Oh my gosh. I have a policy that was issued on the date that Lehman collapsed. Oh, I just want you to know. Just just side frame note. that. That's awesome. I should frame it. Yeah. <laughs> which one of these is still around? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which one's more accurate? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you know, if if I'm right, and I'm not like special in saying this, but if other economists too are correct that there is a major correction coming, this will be the first for like the broader uh, segment of the market that purchased because of something they saw on the internet, right? And a lot of the guys who are in this business haven't weren't in it back in OA. I mean, I certainly wasn't, you know, I was in high school still like, so that the number of, but then, you know, even if you're young, you could learn about it and talk about it and reference it. Like talking about this guy, it wasn't even brought up like a consideration (laughs) of the proposal in the context of the economic environment. Wasn't even a consideration. You could understand if they may brought it up and maybe there was a justification to kind of make cover for it. Okay, I can kind of see the rationale there. There wasn't even that, right? So I I think there's going to be a very rude awakening for a lot of policy owners, a lot of the companies who, and and consequently, a lot of the people who do the marketing to promote this style of sales, where we're going to lever, it is exactly the idea of the, Private equity types, you know, that Barry Dyke is so great about talking about, you know, borrow money from wherever, whoever is. Teachers hedge funds yeah, or uh, teachers pensions, any any pension, right? Yeah. Any pension. Has enough brain cells to say yes, but not too many to see the problem, right? And the, well, everybody's going to get paid anyway, but you, so it's going to be okay for them. Yeah. I mean. And, oh, who, and, the, and then the person ending up with the liability hmm? is. The, cl- the consumer, yep. right? He's the one on the hook. And so what, and I've seen it, ha- I've seen early lapses, not many of them, because all the policies that come out of my office are properly suited to the financial profile of the individual and we abide by Nelson's rules, but life still does happen. Life does happen, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not good. You know, if, if, you, if the policy lapses before the cash value exceeds the cost basis, you know, you're early on in the life cycle of the policy, You've, you have a loss. You're going to show a loss. If the policy lapses after the cash value exceeds the cost basis, you've incurred a tax event. So Probably a net loss. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how. Whatever. It's not good. The timing. Yeah. You know, the, the, a lapse is not good for the consumer. It's not good. The agent probably doesn't care because he's passed the clawback period. Com- it's not good for the company. It's not good for the agent. No, no, no. It's not good for the agent because it, it, it affects their persistency. It affects... It, it, it's not good for anyone. Bad business. You know, I have a saying, and I'm kind of known for it within the industry, like, no business is better than bad business. Yeah. I'll stand by that, and, you know, and it's, it's in fact true. You know, there's a, there's a lot there. Let me, let me say a couple of things. Like, number one, on the structure, you know, putting that so much premium in in year one. And, and I've seen different things. You know, look, uh, I don't look for this stuff. It, people share it with me. 
what have you. Um, and I do, I do though, go on social media. I've said it before, and I still do. Like these ads for life insurance, where there's term and investor difference, or some kind of a, a banking, uh, infinite banking concepts bastardization, whatever it is. I love the comments, right? Because it just shows the various levels of ignorance, you know. And it's and it's entertaining, you know. Not that I know everything, and I don't. I'm still a student. Okay, but just because you can, and I've seen I've seen presentations where, oh well, you can put ten times the premium in a PUA. Um, in year one, and this is obviously one of the companies that allows that. And I've seen different presentations by different people. It's like, well, you can do this times this and that times that. It's getting down to the limitations, the, structu- the structural limitations of a particular life insurance company, right? That's all that is. And just because you as an agent or advisor yeah. knows that you can do that and then you can manipulate the numbers on the page, just because you can do something, does that mean you should do something? It's like, no, it's a no, 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 and a hard hell no. And then when, when you talk about the business cycle, you know, the boom bust cycles, and here we are, here where you, where we, where we're at, and what you believe is coming. Um, man, talk to me about real estate when there's a liquidity crisis, please. Oh. Please, please. Or, and, and I, my, my clients know my position on leverage right my clients also know the uh, my position on the being able to maintain leverage right so there's nothing wrong with leverage as long as it's working for you when leverage works against you you know then it's katie bar the door um so what happens when there's a liquidity crisis in real estate? What happens when there's a liquidity crisis in business? That reminds me of a of a part of an interview that I had seen where Elon Musk was being interviewed by someone, and they, you know, some kind of reporter. I mean, it was a he was on a show as a guest of some kind of show. I don't know what the show was, but the guy asking me is like, "Well, well, what about this SEC investigation? You you capitulated and pled guilty." Elon Musk, out of his own mouth, he said, "Well, um, my." company was undercapitalized and the bankers were not going to allow capital access unless I pleaded guilty to the SEC. What? You mean to tell me Elon Musk had a capital crisis and the bankers told him what to do and how to do it? What? And he said, yes, but you're yes, but your case is different, right? (laughs) Because the problem that you have is so much capital on hand. You don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I mean, you see the connection that I'm trying to make? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. And then um, I want to go back to 2008. I remember 2008 where we're the building that we're in right now, we were next door, right on the other side of the wall over there. And in 2008, I just closed on that piece of real estate. Mm. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I've talked about it before, but the, the bottom line was uh, we financed the down payment on that. Mm-hmm. And then we financed the remodeling of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm doing retirement seminars um, and, 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 and talking about the infinite banking concept as well, doing, doing talks on that. Um, this is 2008, right? And the markets it just collapsed. Mm. And now you think about that as a, as a, as an individual and agent invest, investment advisor in the financial world, you know, when markets collapse, you know, people kind of hesitate. Right? I'm not, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't feel good about paying that $90,000 in premium, James. Look at the, the markets melting down or whatever the case may be. Right. 
that got my attention because also at that time that we had my lovely wife and I, we had already, you know, been financing credit card debts mm. and balances and automobiles and education. Um, and at that time, I don't remember the percentage, but I had upwards of 90% of our cash values collateralized mm. when, I mean, I, I remember I was, I was uh, out in a potential client's home meeting with them when the I, I believe the the Dow plummeted like seven or eight hundred points that day, six or seven hundred points. And it was like nobody wanted to do anything. And I'm walking through this building, you know, later, that a few days later, I'm walking through this building that is in the right in the middle of being remodeled. I mean, there's a dumpster out back, there's construction materials all over the place and construction workers, you know, and all of that is just ching, 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 ching. That's just money, <laughs> money, money. I suddenly became extremely uncomfortable with the amount of capital that we had collateralized. Mm. Extremely. Right. Was that going to be a cash flowing appreciating asset? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the right words. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that was a lesson for me. And I believe it was, you know, I was supposed to learn that lesson and, and I did. So I'm just saying, uh, if I add to that, you know, typically our clients, my clients don't lose money. All right. I mean, just my clients don't lose money unless they choose to, unless they, you know, decide to leave early. Life happens. There's always that case. You know, that's possible. Um, and and even though the, the, the construct of the policy is appropriate to the individual with flexibility, this is what can be done if it goes wrong. This is how you can maintain your plan, your policy, your series, or your system, whatever, your what we've built for you, you can maintain in times of liquidity crisis, mm. you know, in times of unknown, unforeseen events, because life does happen. Okay. Well, <clears throat> since my clients don't lose money, there was a hiccup right there. It got my attention. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm suddenly uncomfortable with 90% of the cash values collateralized. But, you know, I'm like, I'm buying in and I'm doing, uh, I was doing exactly what, you know, I believe should be done, right? Um, okay, couple lessons. Number one, I was very uncomfortable with that much cash value collateralized. Go forward. You hear people, I've seen it before. Well, every dollar you have should be collateralized because money should be moving. The money's idle in cash value. It's hogwash. Complete, pure bunk, right? It's okay to sit on a pile of capital. Ask any well-capitalized Fortune 100 company in North America. Do you think they're suffering from FOMO because they're sitting on hundreds and hundreds of millions of billions of dollars or whatever? Yeah. No, do you think they wake up in the middle of the night and like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid that we can't get that rate of return on 12% on this deal? No, no, no. They're okay being appropriately capitalized. Okay. So, which leads me to another point. Okay. That was 2008, right? We're talking about here it is 2023. And we're at this event a week ago, right? And there are 140 people registered. Not everyone that registered attended. So there was less than 140. Um, and it was outstanding, in my opinion. Man, Larry Silverstein gave a beautiful presentation that will not be available because it wasn't recorded on purpose. 
uh, David Stearns gave a beautiful presentation. I think I gave a beautiful presentation, as simple as it was. I think you gave a beautiful presentation. And you know what? There's that one opportunity there. It was October 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah, October 21, 2023, downtown Fort Worth, Texas. You know, if you missed it, I'm sorry. Right, You had an opportunity. It was, I know it was client only. But there was that one opportunity, never going to occur again. Although we did record it, and it will be it will be made available in some form or fashion in the future. And when that occurs, it occurs. Okay, to clients. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not be, yeah. publicly available. I uh, know. Yeah. So, um, one thing that was, I was asked, I think twice. Um, well, James, you know, I met. Uh, uh, Colin, he's been a client for 10 years, right at 10 years. Um, and I met I met a, a lot of uh, clients that have been, mm. you know, uh, practicing for three, four, five, and six years. And then there's another lady there who's been practicing for 12 or 12, yeah. 13 years. I ain't going to know who you're talking about. Um, and I jumped smooth. I, she didn't even come to mind until after. I'm like, well, Terry Joe Bird was there. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so um, they said, James, where are they at? And I said, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would expect that they're out doing what they do. Like, where are the people who have been doing this for a long time, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Beyond, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years, you know, and have clients that have done this 16, 17, 18, and 19 years. And then, then I look, I'm the, I'm, I, my wife is my oldest client, right? She's been with me the <laughs> longest, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, they're out doing what they want to do. They're out practicing, yeah. you know, becoming their, they're out controlling their banking function. But then let me say this too, um, in, you know, have there been clients that wandered off the reservation? Uh, sure, sure, there, sure, of course, uh, that has happened too. Or I don't know, but I would suspect that there might be some longtime clients that aren't practicing the four fundamentals of R. Nelson Nash. You know, maybe they're not making their loan repayments in a, at all. Maybe they're not. Uh, controlling that outstanding loan they're not making large enough loan repayment who knows yeah. i'm sure they exist and then therefore maybe they would not feel comfortable attending i don't know that i'm just thinking about this as a question was asked a couple of times where are these long-term people and at the end of the day um you were there regardless of what anybody else is doing that and that another form of fomo what are these yeah. long-term clients doing does it matter what they're doing yeah Need that social validation. You had such a good point during your talk, and you know, and we jumped smooth over it. And we talked, you and I talked about it in the context of another case over the phone this past week. But in Nelson and becoming your own banker, when in the is it part two, maybe part one, where he's talking about his own personal background, uh, how he came to discover the IBC. He said that, uh, you know, after the cancer diagnosis and after getting robbed and you know come to find out he's got all this cash value and how is he going to get out of all this debt that he had to revise his spending pattern he clearly seen that he needed to increase his premium right, he's already been paying premium right for for uh 40 something years all right so that's 1980 yeah, well over 40 years. He's, been, he's seen that he needed to increase his premium to create, increase this pool of capital yeah. in which to get rid of the snakes and dragons. My words, but his words originally, snakes and dragons, to get rid of these 
bankers, these lenders. But how could he do both? That's really where the magic was. That's where that's where the magic was. He said, I got honest with myself. Mm. And I clearly seen that I could revise my spending pattern. That that is the magic. I that's don't care it. if you're in your first, you're considering maybe paying a premium. You're considering how you're going to make a loan repayment after you've already paid a premium and now you're going to go take over some debt. Well, listen, man, if you're taking over debt, that debt had a debt service. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's and and I'm I, I want to clearly be encouraging and that can make that makes people angry. I'm telling you back in the early deal in the early days, whenever Nelson, you know, and God bless him, he wouldn't answer a question directly uh, initially. Right. I mean, it's not like he avoided answer answering questions. He did not. He would ask you a question to make you think and make mm-hmm. to encourage you to get to your own answer because it was typically pretty clear most of the time. Yeah. Um, but that would make people angry. And then, what do you mean I'm already spending everything that I possibly can spend? Are you? So, because we went a little long, we're going to end here and we're going to continue from this point forward in part two. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.